I am Dwayne Arledge, Associate Pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies. It's my privilege this weekend to be speaking for Pastor Charlie while he's out. Thank you for being here. <coughs> Excuse me. The question I have for you this morning as we begin the sermon is, has God ever ambushed you? Now, ambush with God is not bad. When somebody else ambushes you, you usually think, oh, I wish that hadn't happened. Well, there are a lot of times with God when he does that, that initially I think, ooh, I wish that hadn't happened. But God's purposes are always different than our purposes, and he always has in mind to bless us, to care for us, to improve us, to make us more holy, more like him. So when God ambushes us, it's not a bad thing, ultimately. But let me ask the question again. You think back to a time. Has God ever ambushed you? You're in a conversation with someone. You're just talking about family or sports or golf or some other thing that's just, you know, neutral ground. And somebody says something, and all of a sudden, you realize God just said something to you through that person. Last summer... <clears throat> I had a time, or last fall, actually, I had a time. There were, there were some people together, and a, and a friend of mine here from the church said, hey, I want you to meet this pastor from this other church. So we stepped over, and he introduced me to this man, and he said, this is pastor, whatever, whatever, and he introduced me, and then I, I put my hand out and shook his hand, and I said, how are you today? And here's exactly what he did. He says, I am content. And I thought, well, aren't you special? <laughs> so what kind of answer is that? I am content. We're, you know, we're supposed to do that neutral thing that doesn't invade anybody's life or anything and say, oh, I'm great today or whatever. Just some neutral answer, you know. Don't, don't mess in people's life when they say, how are you doing? I try it out here in the foyer, and people say, how are you today? And I go, I'm terrible. Can I tell you about it? They go, no, 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 no. I don't have time for that. Okay, I'm just testing them to see if they really want to know how I'm doing. Well, I wasn't testing this guy to see how he was really doing. And so he gave that answer. Now, my, my answers, <laughs> fortunately, I didn't say anything aloud. You would have been proud of me because the things I thought you would have thought, oh, my gosh, one of our pastors just did that to somebody in the community, you know. But I thought, are you really content? Or are you just one of those hyper-spiritual Christians who makes up those kinds of answers to make everybody else feel guilty? You know, you say to someone, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm so blessed. If I were any better, I'd just go on to heaven. I go, right. We're not living on the same planet. You can't have that kind of an answer on a regular day. Or, or I thought... As, as I kind of walked away, I thought, are you implying that I'm not content? That you're the only one who's content and, and somehow you're better than me? And then I thought, well, what gives you the right to be so sure about that? How can anybody be so sure? I'm content. You know, it was just one of those contented answers, and it frustrated me. Then I, then I thought, is it possible to be truly content. I mean, there are a lot of things wrong in the world. 
How, how can we really be content? Can you achieve that in this life? So, driving home after that event <clears throat> is when deep conviction began to set in in me. You know why? Because I realized there was no way on this earth I could honestly say on any given day, I am content. I just couldn't do that, not if I'm honest. Now, I could make up a lie, but I realized I couldn't do that. And, and I realized that I had developed a pattern of always wishing for a little bit more. No matter the outcome, no, no matter what happened. Now, in preparing for this sermon, I do have to set one, one thing aside. As I've asked God, I, I don't have that sense with my family, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my daughter-in-law. Listen, I would be content spending the rest of my days just being with them. I love them with every fiber of my being. But my work, my daily life, church, the, the helping other people make a difference, helping make a difference in other people's lives, helping them take next steps, all of the things I've been doing as a pastor for over 40 years, since November of 1975, all of those things that have consumed my life, I realized in that drive home that I always wanted more no matter the results. <clears throat> now, that wasn't a happy moment for me. That was a deeply convicting moment that I couldn't say I'm content. So, now as, as I do, often do, and probably you do, I know, I don't know you, all of you personally, but I do know human nature. So, I went on a few weeks and, and that thought would come up periodically, and it troubled me. So, as we often do, I began to rationalize. I thought, well, is contentment something I really need that much? I mean, at that time last fall, I thought, I made it to 63 years old, and I've had a pretty good life. Um, how many more years could I have? Do I, do I need to start seeking contentment? You know, God gives me 85 years or whatever. Uh, that's only a couple of decades out. Do I really need that? Then I thought, <clears throat> maybe that contentment kind of thing is just for people who are too weak or too lazy to try to make a difference in life. I mean, was Rosa Parks content with the situation the way it was? Was Martin Luther King Jr. content with the way it was? Was Martin Luther content with the way things were when they were wrong? And I began to justify that way. So I thought, <clears throat> this won't go away. I probably should go to the Bible. <laughs> it took me quite a few weeks to, to decide that. And so I went to Scripture and started searching on my app, my Bible study app, for the words content and contentment. I found a bunch of Scriptures that had to do with that. But I want to share, in the opening here, I want to share three of those passages with you. As we decide, does the Bible have anything to say about that? Okay? 
And I decided maybe, we'll find out through the course of this message, I decided maybe that my definition of being content and contentment was a little bit lacking. So here's what Scripture said. The first, first one I read is 1 Timothy 6, 6. And it's the Apostle Paul, who is an older pastor, mentor, pastor, is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. And so I thought, okay, here's older pastor to younger pastor. Somewhere in the middle of that, there probably ought to be something for me. Uh, a kind of getting older pastor, all right? <laughs> and he says this, but godliness, I thought, we all need that. Along with contentment, I thought, oh, he's, he's connecting that up with something pretty significant. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's in the plus column. That's something we need. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, and I think the Apostle Paul's intent here is to say, if all we have is just enough food and enough clothing, with these we will be, say it with me, content. Oh my gosh. That doesn't sound like very much. All we have is a little bit of food and a little bit of clothing, enough to get us through today, and we're going to be that content word. Let's go on. Philippians 4. Again, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church in the city of Philippi to Christians, and they, they have helped him financially, okay? He's, he's a missionary, and they, they've helped him send him money, finance, financial assistance. He said, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Now, they knew he needed financial help. But his perspective was, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're not very good at that. In fact... I'm kind of pathetic at that being content with just, just whatever I have. It doesn't matter. One more. In the book of Hebrews, I believe most likely the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It's not completely clear in Scripture, but quite possibly here again from the Apostle Paul. Verse 5 in chapter 13, he says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he... God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this one, freedom from anxiety is tied to not loving money. And that, that gives me, a, and he ties that to commitment. So I'm, I'm starting to find a lot of things that are tied to being content. And the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is saying, that's an important thing to have. So I start shifting my mindset, and I realize that my contentment jar is not very full. And I realize Scripture says that God wants to fill it for me. So that last fall, or probably by Christmas or so, launched me on a journey that will take the rest of my life of discovering how the Lord wants to help me fill 
that contentment jar. And I believe with everything in me, a significant number of people here in the worship center and theater today have that same need because I think all of us are kind of alike. Contentment. Here's the definition. This is dictionary.com plus Dwayne's expanded phrases, okay? So you take it for what it's worth, but it's pretty close to accurate. Uh, Content. Adjective. Satisfied with what one is or has. Not wanting more. Not wanting anything else beyond what one presently has. Ouch. So, this weekend, as we, as we consider contentment and what God has to say about it, here's what I want to do. Three, three things, basically. One, I, I want us to see ourselves when we're not content. What are we like when we're not content? And then I want to see what we're like when we are content. And then the big question, how in the world do we find that? How in the world do we get to a place where we can be content if Scripture says it's something important? So first, when I'm not content. When I am not content, I'm always looking for, and I sum it up with one word, more. Regardless of what's going on, I'm looking for more when I'm not content. I want more money. I want more affirmation from others. And by the way, if you're on that treadmill, there will never be enough because the affirmation from others can come and go. The affirmation you receive today could be rejection tomorrow, and, and that one ounce of rejection can erase 27 pounds of affirmation in a heartbeat. And so when I'm looking for affirmation and I'm looking for that to be content, then I'm always going to want more. I want, when I'm not content, I want more success. I want more promotion from others. I want them to applaud more. I, I want more results for my efforts. I want to put in this much effort and get this many results. I am not content to put in this much effort and get this many results. I want more attention from others in the relationships I have, whether it's work or family or otherwise. And ultimately, when I'm not content, I am looking for more action from God. In other words, I want to say, God, I need this. And I want to define how he does it, when he does it, all of those things, how he should act on my behalf. And I am not content. You ever been there? Are you there today? I, I kind of vacillate between approaching contentment and not. And this little checklist of the things I want more of are always a help to me to know where I am on that scale or where I am in the filling of my contentment jar. Second thing, let's look at when I am content. Because it's, it's probably a pretty simple thing if we'll just get alone with God and get honest. It's probably a pretty simple thing to determine when we're not content, if we'll be honest. So second, when I'm content... I'm fully satisfied, and I'm just going to list three things and give you some scripture underneath them and, and, and some sub-points under that. Three things. First, when I'm content, I'm fully satisfied with who I am. Now, not who I am all on my own, okay? 
But, so I have to qualify that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But who I am in Jesus Christ. That's a whole different thing. Uh, the whole self-esteem movement of, of decades ago that says you are special. Within you is the power to do anything you want to do, to be anything you want to be. And if you just have the right environment, you're going to do great things. When you hear that, you just write it off as baloney, okay? Because within me, Scripture says, all on my own, within me, there's really not that much good because I, my, my soul is not redeemed. But when I've given my life to Jesus Christ, He's forgiven me, He's come in, He's given me new life, then that's a different person. And there's a different creation there, and it didn't come from me. It came from God. And so, when I understand who I am, look at this. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, there are a couple of verses. And I want to be, uh, jump to verse 21 in that passage in 2 Corinthians first. It, it speaks to our self-worth. In other words, our worth to God. Okay? Because He created us, and He wants to redeem us. He wants to give us salvation, eternal life. Verse 21 says this, for our sake, for our good, for our blessing, for our benefit, he made him. Now, let's clarify this. God made Jesus. You have to get it in the whole context. So, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. He placed sin on Jesus Christ who was sinless, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that's kind of a sentence that you have to take piece by piece by piece to, to understand it all. But in but he, uh, God made Jesus to be sin so he could pay the price, so he could die, pay the price for your sin and my sin, and then he could give us, when we come to him, repent and believe on him, he could give us that gift of his righteousness. Now, when I understand that and I understand how much he loved me and he loved you, I can move a long way down that road toward being content with who I am. I don't have to depend on you. You don't have to depend on me to determine our worth. God has already made a statement about it. Let's back up to verse 17 in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> and this one is, is assuming that that whoever this person is, you or me, has made the commitment to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, a new species that didn't exist before. It's not like washing a pig and it's still a pig. What, what he's saying here is when we come to Christ, he takes us and create something entirely new. Now, we don't physically change, but spiritually, he creates something brand new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I can be satisfied with who I am in Jesus because he's given me new life. Now, he doesn't make me perfect in the flesh, but I can be truly, completely satisfied and content with who I am. The second thing I can be content with is what I have. Both of these are challenges for us. 
our possessions. In Philippians 4, the verses we're going to unpack at the end of the sermon today. But verses 10 and 11 in Philippians 4 says this. The Apostle Paul is writing that church in uh, the city of Philippi, remember. He said, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Whatever I have. I can be content with whatever possessions God chooses to trust me with. I can be content with life situations. When I'm content, I'll, I'll be truly satisfied with these life situations. In 2 Corinthians verse 12, uh, chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, who most of us believe was like super Christian status. Let's look at what he says. He had had visions from God. And so he could be pretty conceited. He could travel around. Uh, on, on the circuit, on the speaking circuit, and, and talk about those visions and wow people and, and get big honorariums, you know, a lot of money, all that stuff. So here's what he says about it. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, not about my attainments, but about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And then the convicting part for me, he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. And it would have been okay if he had put a period there and just stopped. But he didn't. He says, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The list he gave is the very list that most of us spend our entire life trying to avoid. We, we, we won't, don't want to go near those things. And the Apostle Paul says, in those situations, I am content. When I'm content, I can be truly satisfied with those things. I think I have a ways to go, and I suspect maybe all of us do. So, when I'm content, third thing, I'm going to be truly satisfied with God. Who I am, what I have, and ultimately, I can be truly satisfied with God. I think Jesus is our best example here. Think, remember Jesus as he came to the crucifixion, as it was coming time for the crucifixion, and Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed this. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let me translate. Father, is there some other way that you can pay for the sins of all humankind because this, the cross is getting close and in my humanity, in my flesh, there is a level of fear, a level of avoidance of being beaten and killed. Understandably. Then he said this, nevertheless, your will be done, not my will. The picture for me there is, even with all, every human tendency to avoid being beaten and killed, Jesus was content to do 
what the Father wanted and needed done on our behalf. So, as I think about God, here's what the Scripture promises me so I can be truly satisfied with Him. Romans 8, beginning in verse 35, says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In other words, can, can we be separated from it? Now, I'm not talking about can our devotion be damaged that's on our side of the equation. But who shall separate us? Can, will, can somebody do something that will cause God to love you or me less? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? A long list. No. Verse 37 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him. We're not conquerors. We're conquerors through him. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Did he leave anything out? That's pretty much everything, isn't it? We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can be completely content with God and his love for me. When I'm content there... I'll be satisfied with God. Now, finally, how do I find this contentment? Actually, probably a better question is, how does God want to help me find this contentment? Because he doesn't leave me on my own. He doesn't leave you on your own to find this. Because we would just be wandering around in the weeds. But we wouldn't find it. So the way God wants me to find contentment is this. Three simple things. He wants me to learn Let's look at Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And if you have a, a Bible on your um, uh, device or hard copy Bible, just go to Philippians 4 and hang out there for, for the last few minutes. Beginning at verse 11, he says this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I know how to celebrate. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The Apostle Paul says, I had to learn this contentment stuff. It doesn't come magically. Okay? It doesn't come automatically. What does he want us to learn in order to be content? He wants us to learn truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He wants first us to know the truth that he offers us salvation. So we can be content with what he offers us, forgiveness and eternal life. Then those of us who have been born again, who have given our life to Jesus Christ, he still knows we need to learn contentment. And so he wants us to understand that we've been forgiven completely. We've been accepted unconditionally. We are loved deeply. And we have been given new life spiritually. Listen. When you consider all of those things he's done for us and he's given us, he has given us everything we need to be content. But it doesn't come naturally, does it? So we learn those things, and then the second thing we need to do in order to find this contentment is choose. Verse 11 says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be Content. Here, here's the picture I think that paints, okay? The Apostle Paul says, I'm in this situation, and I can choose. I, I've, I've learned that God is trustworthy, 
and I can be content because he'll take care of me. So what he says is, I am going to just step out into what I believe is truth and reality. I'm going to be content. It's a choice of his will. It's an act of his will that he says, I'm going to be content. And he steps over into that place where he knows that God has to provide. That's the third thing. He says, after I learn and choose, then God wants me to trust him. Look at verse 12 and 13. Or actually in 13. He says, I can do all things. Say those next two words with me. Through him. Okay, on this translation, it says, on the screens, it says, through him. Will you say that again with me, please? Through him. The Apostle Paul didn't say... I can do all things. He had learned and he had experienced too much of God to think he could do all things. But he knew God and he trusted God enough that he could say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here's the truth of it. He'll bring contentment in my life and in your life if I will learn his truth, if I will choose to believe him, step out in, and believe him, and I'll trust him to complete that work through me. I know that I can't do it on my own. I'm going to choose to obey, and he'll bring contentment in my life. It's a spiritual transformation, and I can't accomplish spiritual transformation. He can. 